You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Jesus says in Luke 17, verses 20 and 21, he's asked by the Pharisees, which is a social, religious, sort of political party of his day. Uh, He's asked when the kingdom of God will come. And I think sometimes it's easy for us not to know what that question means and why that matters. And so it's important that we know why that question matters because we don't ask that question. Um, And we are born and bred, most of us, if we're from these United States in a democracy, we don't understand the depths and the layers of kingdom, of monarchy. Um, We don't currently live under the oppressive rule of another regime or empire. So Jesus believed two primary things, it seems. He believed that Israel would be the means by which God would bring salvation to the world, right? He had chosen Israel to be the light unto all the nations. And out of Israel, because of a promise he made to Abraham, Israel would grow into a people that would bear witness to the presence of God in the world that would demonstrate to the world what it looks like to live when God is king. How they loved each other, how they loved one another, how they cared for nations around them, the kind of ethics that they embraced, the kind of worship that they would give. And Jesus knew that Israel was God's means through which God was going to save the world. Israel was not the only ones to be saved. Election Biblically speaking, especially taking it from a Hebrew Scriptures perspective, this notion of being elect was not about salvation, it was about vocation. It's about the fact that God had chosen these folks to be the ones to which He was going to bring salvation into the world. Jesus knew that. But not only that, Jesus also knew that this salvation wouldn't come until the story of Israel reached its climax. Until the covenant that God made to Abraham would reach its fulfillment. Until the promises God made would be fulfilled. And Jesus obviously knew that in his appearance to the world, the story of Israel was reaching its climax. And so this world that had spun out of control with now this this thing that the Apostle Paul called Romans 5, this reign or this rule of sin and death, where violence and fear and everything has its way and sickness all has its way in the world. See, the Jews had a cognitive disconnection. They knew that if God was the maker of them all, and that if he was the king, that they knew then when this kingdom came, that all oppressive rules from Rome to death would be put away. All the death-dealing things. Because they knew that if we could just get Rome out of here and just have our Messiah king, then we wouldn't have to deal with violence anymore, at least from without us, from outside of us. That We would have, we didn't have a chance to have the shalom of God, the peace of God, the restoration of God. And so they are longing for this kingdom. They're longing for the kingdom of God to come because they know that when that comes, that the promises of Abraham are reaching its climax, and that's when the world's going to change finally. Rome will be out of here. So it wasn't just the brutality of high taxation that these guys were pushing back against, though that was bad. They didn't like that either. It wasn't just the brutality of an oppressive rule in Rome. They didn't like that either. It wasn't just the fact that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which were religious parties, had now, because of Rome... And because of their need to try to survive, had become political parties and twisted the doctrine of God, twisted the scriptures. That was bad enough, but it wasn't just that. It wasn't just that the priests had sold themselves out 
to Rome, turning into some sort of aristocracy. That was bad, but it wasn't just that. They knew that when the kingdom of God would come, all of those other things would go away because the king of God would not allow that to happen. He wouldn't allow there to continue to be oppressive rule. He wouldn't allow there to be political divide. He wouldn't allow there to be an in crowd and an out crowd. Because God made a promise to Abraham long ago. And God's going to keep his promise. So Jesus has walked around for some period of time now talking about this kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a king who throws a banquet. It's like a party. The kingdom of God is like a man who finds buried treasure in the field and and buries it back and then goes out and sells all that he has just so he could buy the field and get the treasure too. The kingdom of God is like servants who receive talents. The kingdom of God is like ten virgins who await their groom. The kingdom of God is like... Jesus has said this over and over And finally, these Pharisees, these religious leaders say, well, when's the kingdom of God coming? We've heard about what it's like. We know what it's like. Big boy, when's the kingdom of God coming? And Jesus says, the rule and the reign and the righteousness and the love and the shalom, the peace, the fullness of God, kingdom of God, has is not coming with something observable. There's going to be no war horses and no tanks. No chariots of fire. No pomp and circumstance. There's going to be no great battle. They thought all this was going to have to happen. No one will say, look here. Look, the king is coming. For you see, the kingdom of God is among you. What Jesus is saying is, I am the embodiment of the rule and the reign of God in the world. And I'm making the kingdom of God through myself available to anyone who will pledge allegiance to the king. And so Jesus even begins his ministry with this language. I mean, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus wants them to understand that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near but they have to repent and believe in this good news. See, the gospel is that the kingdom of God has come and that the rule and the reign and the righteousness of God is made available to all people. And here's the problem, I think, for us people living in these United States as, as citizens of a democracy, I don't think we get the profundity, the, the, the majesty, the magnitude of what all this could mean. And plus, we've over-spiritualized this to the degree that this basically means that there's going to be a safe place to go for us when we die. When Jews thought about the kingdom of God, they didn't think about a safe place to go. When they died, they thought about a kingdom. (laughs) That's important to know. They thought about a rule and a reign that would change things. They thought about something that would level out society and make things equitable and full and shalom and restored. That's what they thought. They didn't think about, you know, putting on a diaper and floating around in heaven. You know, cloth diaper. I heard a couple of giggles with the kids. Really? That's a, yeah, you don't want to go there. Like, that's not, that's not, that's not it. It's bigger than that. It includes, it includes, it basically means being with God forever, starting now. And having him as king. So Jesus, yeah, Jesus says, I know we don't like this very much. He attaches a condition. 
Repent and believe it, though. I mean, you heard his words in Luke chapter 24. He said, hey, I'm going to rule and reign, and I need you to go proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance. And Jason Thornton did a really good two-week message on what repentance is. And I just want to remind us that repentance is about allegiance. It's about allegiances. It's about what we are going to pledge our allegiance to in total and devotion. Jesus says, repent and believe. He says, turn away from all the other kingdoms, thinking that, that you can place your hope in another kingdom, thinking that you can place your hope in another ruler or in another reign, like maybe yourself or maybe your job or maybe money or maybe your spouse or maybe your family plans or maybe you know, your, your future degrees. He's saying, no, no, you can't, you can't put all you've got in that. And the thing is, again, I've never met a Christian who goes, oh, I've lost weight, by the way, in camp. My ring just came off. That's a sign, see? I lost, I lost water weight, really. It's nothing else. It was weird. One time, my granddad, my granddad had false teeth. He's a preacher. And he used to speak faster than me. Imagine that. Yeah, Hoyt, stop. Um, Hoyt's like, no one speaks faster than you except an auctioneer, Fred. Well, my granddad does, and he was preaching, and he was going at it. He was just all over the text, and all of a sudden, his teeth flew out. <laughs> But my granddad with his cat-like reflexes caught his teeth, and he put them back in. My granny had passed, and he said, Fran, that was my granny's name, always warned me that if I didn't slow down my speech, that would happen. See what you have to look forward to? Jesus is saying that we can't place our hope in these other things. And Jesus is saying we don't have to. You can trust. You can trust. You can trust. That the king knows you. See, what Jesus' life shows us is that we can be, we can know God. That's the whole point. When Jesus says it's among you, Jesus is saying God's not bound to walls. God's not bound to brick and mortar. God doesn't need a bridge for you to cross some moat anymore. I'm that bridge, Jesus is saying. I can tear down those walls. Jesus is saying, I am the embodiment of what it looks like to live as Jesus' king, and I know the Abba Father. So much so that when Jesus' disciples said, how do you pray? Jesus said, well, let me tell you how to pray. Our Father, Abba Father. See, up until this point, Jews had only described God as a father, but there had never been anyone to actually call God Father until Jesus taught his disciples to pray and said, no, 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 you can call him Abba Father. See, because Abba, Father, Abba is the first word that children would learn when they were born. Even to this very day, there are four countries in the Middle East that the very first word they will teach their children when they are born is Abba. It is a word of personal intimacy and love and respect. Abba, Father. And Jesus says, look, you, you can know him as Abba. Because he's that personal. And then Jesus, yeah, he does pray. He says, and let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Where? On earth as it what? Like if you put that prayer together, knowing that we can come to Father and say, Abba, Father. Let your reign and your rule and all that is good and beautiful be made known here. Now, as it is there. 
Like that changes the world if we really prayed that prayer in a minute and like lived in accordance to that prayer. And what Jesus does is he says, he says, Look, I, I don't want you just to pray like it. I want you to know what it looks like. So Jesus communes with the Father. And we somehow think that he had some sort of relationship with the Father, with Abba Father, different than what we could have. But the whole point is Jesus is demonstrating the kind of relationship you can have with the God who holds the stars in place. But you got to repent and believe. See, that's the thing. We don't want to repent and believe. We don't want to pledge our allegiance to God the Father, lest Abba Father, Daddy Father take something away from me and say, I can't play with that toy anymore. I was at camp. All right, I had to share a camp cabin with like 20 boys, seven and eight. They stink. They were cute. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Eli was in my cabin. Yes, Eli. And you know it too, man. <laughs> that was awesome. Really, Fred? You think we were the ones who stunk? You're the one who didn't shower. And there was every now and then a kid would do something they didn't need to do, right? Like kids do. And I caught a kid doing something he didn't need to do. And I was like, dude, don't do that. He was like, do what? I'm like, no, no, do what? Don't do that. Like, do what? He's hiding what he shouldn't have in his hand. I'm like, give me that. I don't have anything. Yeah, you do. Like, like seriously, this isn't going to end well for you, man. Like, like he didn't want. Look, I have his best in mind. Like, I have his best in mind, right? Like, if he, if he does what he was going to do, and he climbs on what he was going to climb on, that rickety thing he was going to climb on, that might not have ended well at his best in mind. But you got to give me that. Right? That's how we are with God the Father. That's how we are with Abba. He looks at us and says, no, no, give me that. And we're like, give you what? He's like, no, come on, man. Like, I, like, I'm not bound by walls. I'm God. You know, like, I can see. Give me that. And you're like, no, no. I like this. And so we pull away from Abba, and we then just call him God. Let him be Lord, but not Abba. I can deal sometimes with a Lord who's distant and far out, right, who holds the, the stars in his hands, but, but to have to deal with one who wants to get inside my home and my bedroom, that's a different ballgame, right? And what, what Abba's saying is, I want nothing less than you, though. Like, I want you, just like I wanted Jesus. And Jesus is showing that the whole time. He's showing that this is what it means to live an intimate relationship with Abba. And so the Apostle Paul knows this to be true, see? Paul doesn't lose this theology as he comes and plants churches. But there is a need for repentance and belief. There is a need of turning away from allegiances to that we, to turning away from the things that we want to do just because we're the Lord of our own lives or we're going to be allegiant to something else bigger than Jesus himself. You can't pledge your allegiance to three different things. Or two, for that matter. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Because no matter what he says, I've got to figure out how to follow. Every other commitment I have comes secondary to that commitment. Does it not? Tell me, church, am I wrong? Does every other commitment we have, shouldn't it come secondary to the commitment to Christ and the kingdom? I mean, I think it should. At least in theory. 
That's what repentant belief is about. Turn away and trust me. Turn away and trust me. See, the problem is, though, Abba knows what life is. Life for the Christian doesn't stop. Today we're going to celebrate Jean Colesworthy's life. We're not mourning her death. She has passed from life to life. Last night I finally had a chance to tell Ian about Lonnie. When I told him about Lonnie, he looked at me quiet for about a minute. No emotion on his face. He loved Lonnie. He knew Lonnie. Lonnie was his buddy. And then he began to cry. And we held him and he cried and I told him, we're going to miss him. He's not here with us. But I asked him, I said, is he dead, buddy? He said, no, he's, he's, he's alive with Christ. That's why Paul called it being absent from the body. See, God, Abba knows that. And because Abba knows that, he doesn't define safety and security the way you and I do. See, safety and security means my physical well-being. And Abba says, safety and security means something far greater than that. I want your wholeness, your emotional well-being too, your spiritual well-being too, even if I've got to put your physical well-being at risk. Because I know what life is, Abba says. See, Paul knew that. And Paul knew that the only way to live into that, the only way to truly live into that, is to pledge our allegiance to Christ. To know Him. So that's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, he points it to our baptism. Verse 23, Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, in prison until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. The law he's talking about there is the Hebrew Scriptures and this idea of achieving certain things to gain sort of goodness with God. And that's a bit of an oversimplification because the law was good. It showed what morality looked like and all of those things. But what Paul is trying to say is that wasn't going to bring wholeness. The law doesn't bring transformation. So it can't bring then salvation. It can just keep you from running off the rails. That's why he calls the law a guardian. It kept us from running off the rails. But it couldn't transform us. Only the Spirit of God can do that. He says, but then, verse 25, but since that faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. For you all sons and daughters are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in the Greek is pistes. And, and that is a word that has to do with allegiance. It's not just some weird belief. It's a verb-oriented belief. It is an allegiance. It is about what I place my trust in. It's not just a belief. We've gotten it wrong sometimes. Faith is about trust. Trust is about allegiance. Faith has to do with allegiance. And then he says, For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, to put on Christ like a garment. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. You're all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed. Say this with me. Heirs according to the promise. So see, there's something you got to know. Abba wants to give you something. He actually wants to give you everything. And he's the only one who can. He wants to give you life. He wants to give you love. He wants to give you joy. He wants to give you peace. 
He wants you healed more than you want to be healed. He wants you feeling forgiven more than you want to feel forgiven. He wants you knowing love more than you want to know love. Man, hear me on that. He wants you to know love more than you want to know love. He wants you to feel whole more than you want to feel whole. That thing inside your heart that perpetuates this ongoing sin that you have in your life, this ongoing thinking that that somehow your hope can be found in that thing over there, he wants you feeling more hope-filled than you want hope. Nothing else is going to cut it. He can give it to you. He wants to make you an heir. And if you're sitting here saying, man, I've lived with Jesus for 20 years, and I don't know, I've never felt all that. Well, then check your allegiances then. That's all I'm saying. Check your allegiances. You got to check your allegiances, man. You got to ask yourself, have I pledged allegiance to something else? Have I said that come hell or high water, I'm giving my life to this thing? Or have you decided that looking, that, that, that following Jesus has to look like something? Which means love and neighbor and love and enemy and all these other things that he's asked. We can't, we can't play life with two deck of cards. You'll get lost in the game. And there's only one king of hearts, man. You can't play with two sets. You get confused. Paul is saying there's an heir. You're an heir. But here's what I love. He doesn't stop there. He says, now I say that as long as their heir is a child, he differs in no way for the slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he's under guardians and stewards until the time set by his father. In the same way, he's again making the connection to father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elemental forces of the world. Now that's Paul's going to his higher theology. Look, you were trapped under the reign of sin and death and the principalities and the powers and the oppressions. Yeah, no wonder why you would place your hope in those things because there was a time when that was all you had. He said, but if you place faith in Jesus, if you're baptized into Christ, you've got something bigger than that now. He said, why would you go? You're not not under that anymore. So he says, when the time came to completion, God sent his son. There's the completion, the climax. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive his adoption. Say adoption. As sons and daughters. Say sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the Spirit. Say the Holy Spirit. The spirit of a son, the one who lived and reigned in Jesus, now lives and reigns in us into our hearts, crying out, say it with me, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a what? And if a son or a daughter, then a what? That's who you are. You're not going to feel that way. But that's who you are. You may not feel like, a, like an heir to the kingdom of God. Man, I wish, like, I don't even know what that means. Do you? Like, I don't really know what that means. Like, what? But I know it's got to be awesome. Like, 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 if God who holds the stars in place and the moon in place and created all the galaxies, who's wanting to give me everything and you everything, not because we're good, but because of our new name. Because of our new identity. See, baptism is our naturalization ceremony into the kingdom. We, we are no longer part of these other kingdoms anymore. We may have feet in them. My allegiance isn't there. I'm assisting the kingdom of God or anything else. Because of my identity, I'm in Christ. You're in Christ. Here's what he says. He says, verse 8, but in the past, when you didn't know God, when you didn't know him, when you didn't know he was Abba, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. 
you were enslaved to the things that aren't God's, but mistaken that they were, he means. But now since you, now read this with me, verse 9. But now since you know God, or rather have become, say this with me, come on, known by God. That's probably one of my favorite scriptures. I like Paul's language. He's like, now since you know God, no, no, wait, 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 wait. You're known by God. Why would you want to go back to something that's weak and bankrupt? You're known by God. See, it's not just that you know God, it's that God knows you. It's there in the Bible, in the New Testament of all things. You are known. There's not one word you speak he doesn't know. There's not one fear you have he doesn't know. There's not one doubt you have he doesn't know. And there's not one little bit of love he has for you that has changed because of any of that. There's not one sin you committed that you've tried to hide from everybody else that he doesn't know. There's not one mixed up allegiance that you have that he doesn't know. There's nothing about you he doesn't know. There's nothing about you that he doesn't love. Even if he doesn't love your allegiances, he loves you. And I don't know about you, but for me to be reminded that the God of heaven and earth doesn't just want me to know him, but he wants me to know that I am known by him can change everything. It's like the words of the psalmist in Psalm 139, right? You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You've encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. And this is where I am. This extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. So see, here's the point. I know that we all came to this gathering, most of us maybe, and we knew in our heads that we are known by God, and that God can be Abba. So my question to you and me then is why is it we don't live that way? Why do we think we're our waist size? Why do we think we are our bank accounts? Why do we think we are what our children think of us as a parent? Why do we think we are our past, our addictions? Well, I've got a proposal. It's because somewhere along the line, we subtly mixed up our allegiances. And we didn't realize that that, what we were done. that that was what we were doing. We were trying to turn our life over to something else. Maybe it was validation from others. Maybe it was trying to fill a hole in my heart of pain. Maybe I'm ugly and cuss out people. Not because it's their fault. Maybe that's just it. I'm trying to make it everybody else's fault that I'm this way. And Jesus is saying to us, but you have Abba. Like you're an heir of the kingdom of God. Why can't you live that way? Why fear death? And why fear life? See, there's something else that this tells us. Can John Yaga come up here? The Christian should never imagine a future without God. The Christian should never fear the future. You know why? Because there isn't a future without God for the Christian. God is already in the future. 
just as much as he is in the past, just as much as he is in the present. There is no place a child of God can go where God isn't present. So when you leave here, you leave here going with God. You have his attention. The question is whether or not you'll give him his. Here's one for you. We have God's allegiance. Christ made sure of that. The question for us is, does he have ours? And that's the question you have to answer, and only you really can. You are not your feelings. You are your faith. You are the one in whom you have placed your faith. You are the child of God through Jesus Christ. You may not feel known by God, but you are because Jesus said so. My little boy is um, frightful of certain things like any little boy would be. And there are certain places he won't go unless I'm with him or his mama's with him. And yesterday, he and I kind of had an aha moment together as father and son. As I reminded him, that even if his earthly father isn't there, his heavenly father is. I said, do you believe that Jesus is in you through the spirit? He said, yes. I said, do you even know what that means? He said, I don't know. I said, I don't either. <laughs> I said, but here's what I do know that means. He said, what? I said, there's no place you can go where God isn't. And last I checked, he can keep you safer than I can. And even if worst case scenario, it doesn't end well for you. What happens to you? I live with Jesus. I said, so didn't you live, right? I said, yeah. I said, so going up there by yourself. Jesus is with you. And he did. See, I'm not that trusting. I'm going to go out on a limb and say some of us aren't that trusting either. And that is needs to be our prayer. And every time we come to the bread and wine, we are called to be that trusting. We are reminded even in a physical way, that we can be that trusting because when I'm struggling, my brother here will remind me not to because of who we are as heirs of the kingdom of God and children of God when we come to the table together. So every week we come, we come to the table. We remember whose we are and therefore remembering who we are because of what God has done.